This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Box 13 is a syndicated radio drama about the escapades of a newspaperman-turned-mystery novelist, Dan Holliday, played by film star Alan Ladd. Created by Ladd's company, Mayfair Productions, Box 13 aired in different cities over different dates and times. It first aired in some United States radio markets in October of 1947. So here's the background. To seek out new ideas for his fiction, Holliday ran a classified ad in the Star Times newspaper where he formerly worked. And he ran this ad. Adventure wanted. We'll go anywhere. Do anything. Write Box 13, Star Times. And the stories followed his adventures when he responded to the letters sent to him by such people as a psycho killer and various victims. Sylvia Picker appeared as Holiday's scatterbrained secretary, Susie, while Edmund McDonald played police lieutenant, Kling. Russell Hughes, who had previously hired Ladd as a radio actor way back in 1935 at $19 a week, wrote most of the script, sometimes in collaboration with Ladd. The partners in Mayfair Productions were Ladd and Bernie Jocelyn, who had previously run the chain of Mayfair restaurants. Pretty busy guy, Alan Ladd, huh? Well, let's go for the episode tonight entitled Hotbox. <laughs> Box 13, with the star of Paramount Pictures, Alan Ladd, as Dan Holliday. Box 13, care of the Star Times. Enclosed, you'll find enough money to do what I want you to do. Go to the Mason auction rooms and bid on an old Chinese teakwood box. I must have that box. And if you get it for me, wait for further instructions. further instructions. Hmm. No address, no signature. Just wait for further instructions. Well, as Bobby Burns would say, the best laid plans of mice and men sometimes go wrong. And Bobby Burns knew what he was talking about. to Box 13 and Dan Holliday's newest adventure, Hot Box. It doesn't sound very interesting, Mr. Holliday. Uh, you never can tell, Susie. Now, suppose this teakwood box contains a million crown jewels, and suppose international jewel thieves are after them, and I get mixed up and... and... Gee, go on, Mr. Holliday. That sounded wonderful. Well, what happens then? Well, and then I... What am I saying? I must be out of my head. 
Well, 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 I think you should go uh, to the auction, I mean. Auctions are very interesting. I went to one once. They're, they're like a gin rummage sale. The gin, Susie. That's extra. Oh. Anyway, maybe I'll see what's in that teakwood box. You'll be able to reach me at the Mason auction rooms. Well, right there's where the plans begin to get twisted. I took a wrong turn and landed at the Mason auction rooms after the sale had started. Uh-oh, uh, uh, they just sold a teakwood box. Sold it to a scared-looking little guy. He was about 55, pale, and he kept looking around the room while they wrapped the box for him. It wasn't big, that box. Maybe about the size of a cigar box. But the way the little man hugged it to him when he left, it could have been made of bradium. Okay, so I missed the boat. Or, or I mean the box. But I wanted something for my trip across town, so I followed the pale little guy from the room. He looked around and saw me. I raised my hand to signal him, and that did it. He spun out to the sidewalk like a rabbit. I went after him. I wish I hadn't, because when he saw I meant to follow, he took a couple of wild looks around, and then... Hey, look out! He ran across the street against the traffic signal and right into the path of a car. I pushed my way through the crowd that gathered. The little guy was lying on the street. I couldn't help it. He ran right in front of me. He ran against the life. Hey, hey, did anybody see you? Did anybody see you? Yeah, I saw it. It wasn't your fault. No, no, it wasn't my fault. I was trying to stop. I wasn't going fast. I was just going to make the turn. It's... Well, is he hurt bad? The little man looked as though he was badly hurt. Somebody sent for an ambulance, then I then I remembered the box. I looked around for it. It was on the street. He didn't have it anymore. I looked over the crowd. Nobody had it. Then I noticed the cab at the hack stand on the curb. And getting into it was a woman with red hair. And under her arm was the package. Before I could push my way back to the crowd, the cab was gone. But I saw its number. Okay, it'd be easy to check and find the driver's name and maybe... Maybe ask him a few questions. Well, I waited on the street until the ambulance got there. The intern said it was probably concussion. But that evening, I drove to the Marchmont Apartments. Yeah, that, that was where the driver of the cab said he took the woman. I looked at the names on the mailboxes. Nine apartments in the building. Well, one way to get in was to push all the buttons and wait for the door to click open. I went in, but as I did, I looked out the door. Oh, there was a tail on me. I caught a quick glimpse of a man's face. He hurried past, but not before he gave me a good look. Well, that teakwood box was leading to something. After disturbing seven occupants of seven different apartments and getting seven nasty comments, I rang one buzzer. name underneath was Ruth Cornwall. Is that you, Tommy? Yes, Ruth. Just a second. Oh. Good evening. Who are you? I'm not the full of brush, man. May I come in? Of course not. Uh, I've come about a teakwood box. Will you please go? Oh, maybe you didn't hear me. I said I've come about the teakwood box, Miss Cornwall. I don't know what you're talking about. And if you don't go, I'll ring for the manager. All right. Ring for him. Well? Is this a joke? I don't know. That depends on you. Well, I... Come in. <laughs> 
That's better. Now, who are you? My name's Dan Holliday. Do I know you? No, I... I don't think so. But I know you. Oh, you do? From where? Mm, from this afternoon, when you hopped into a cab with a package that belonged to a little man. Oh. <laughs> if that was supposed to be a careless laugh, you need a lot of rehearsal. What makes you think I'm the person you're looking for? I just managed to catch sight of that beautiful red hair of yours. Really, Mr. Holliday, I thought this was a joke at first, but it's getting a little absurd. Oh, no, wait I think you'd better go now. All I want is an explanation. What's in that box? What's in that box that makes it so important? Well, if I knew what box you were talking about, maybe I could tell you. That's good waltzing, Miss Cornwall. You wouldn't have let me in this apartment if you knew nothing about all this. But you were scared enough to let me come in and talk. That makes sense? Why should it? Because I could swear you seem relieved about something. Maybe, maybe you were expecting someone else to come after you. Were you? Of course not. All right, I'll wait. I don't think you will. Oh. Does this make you change your mind? Guns always have a habit of making a man think twice. Just think once, Mr. Holliday, about leaving now. Well, your arguments are stronger than mine, and I... Get out of here quickly. You're getting more company. Get out! Now, let's see. Anyone planning to sneak up on you could do the same as I did. Ring all the buzzers, get in the building, then come up here, but... If you don't leave, I'll... I don't think you will. You're very anxious to have me get out before this company gets up here. And you had better click that front door. You'll get impatient. Go away. If, if I give you that box, will you leave? Ah, now we're getting someplace. Okay, you're talking into it. Wait. Here. Here it is. Now get out of here and don't come back. Nothing. Now, please, will you go? For heaven's sake, please go. You got what you wanted? Now leave me alone. Well, look, I... Will you leave me alone if he sees you here? Uh... All right, Miss Cornwall. And please never come back. Never try to see me again. I don't know what it was, but there was something about Ruth Cornwall that put me in sympathy with her. She needed help, wanted it, but it was as though she didn't dare tell me why. I went down the hall, ducked around a corner, and stopped just long enough to look back and see a man go into her apartment. I went downstairs, out onto the street. Keep walking, bub. Huh? I said keep walking, right up to that alley. Hey, what is this? I think you know, but if you want to play 20 questions, I'll let you ask one. This, give you a hint. Oh, when you pull that gun back, take it easy. I think you've got it caught in my ribs. Now walk. Far enough. Now what? Give me that box. What box? Ain't you funny? Yeah, I, I do card tricks, too. That's enough. Hand it over. This seems to be my night to play give and take. Okay. That's better. Now, good night, holiday. When the alleyway stopped spinning long enough for me to catch it, I... I stood up on it. I looked at my watch. As closely as I could figure, the character who tattooed my head had put me out for a half an hour. See what you get when you put an ad in the paper advertising for adventure? You get it. With lumps. Well, there's nothing more I could do that night. 
My head felt like the inside of a bass drum in a band. And all I wanted to do was hit Betty by and let my head rest on a nice, soft pillow. Good morning, Sue. Oh. Uh, Mr. Holliday, this man's been waiting for you. Oh, you again. Did you sleep all right, Mr. Holliday? Like a top, I spun. <laughs> yeah. You want me to do anything, Mr. Holliday? I wish you could, Susie. Mr. Holliday, I know a man who wants to see you right now. Uh-huh. Can I persuade you to come along? Do you think? Yes, you seem to have a way about you. Susie. Uh, yes, Mr. Holliday? If I'm not back in three hours, call up the insurance company and get back that last premium I paid in advance. Huh? That's enough. Let's go, Holiday. Here's Holiday, Mr. Conrad. Oh, yes. Uh, please come in. Sit down. What's the idea? Funny, I was going to ask you that. Here, take a look. Well, that's the box. But it's empty. So it's empty. What am I supposed to do? Fill it with Easter eggs? Shut your trap, Holiday. Take it easy, Jimmy. Maybe Mr. Holiday will tell us things. Now, Mr. Holiday? Like what? Uh, look, I sent you the letter to Bitterness Box. I checked. Never mind how I found out who you were. Oh, well, then you should know I didn't get the box at the auction yesterday. I know, but you got it last night, Jim. From whom? Look, that's the way I got it. Empty. What more do you want from me? Information. Who had that box? I... Does that make any difference? You've got it now? I want what is in it. That's the way I got it. Jimmy. Yeah, Mr. Conrad? Did you see anybody take the box yesterday when that man was hit by the car? No. Whoever did got away fast. Yeah? Uh, but, Holiday, you went to the Marchmont Apartments last night. When you came out, you had the box. And that's as far as it goes? Uh, not quite. Where'd you get it from? Conrad looked hard at me. So he didn't know Ruth Cornwall. I could tell him and put her on the spot. But I didn't want to do that. Not until I found out a bit more. Conrad got up from behind his desk. I don't know what game you're playing, Holiday, but I can tell you this. You won't play long. And I'm telling you, I got the box that way empty. All you have to do then is to tell me who picked up that box of the incident yesterday. Yes? And what if I don't? Uh, Jimmy. Yeah? How hard is Mr. Holliday's head? Not very. Go ahead, then. Wait a minute. Uh, hold it, Jimmy. Okay, Holliday? What? Look, you want what was in that box, right? Sure. Then let me go after it. What are you talking about? You didn't go to the auction yourself to bid for the box, which means that you didn't want anybody to see you get it. All right. Whatever was in that box is important to you. But if you beat me up, you'll never find out. You see, I'm the only one who knows who had it. Well, we could go to the March Mart and find out. Sure, sure. But you wouldn't find anybody because... because there's nobody there now. Smart, huh? Yeah. Smart. It was a bluff. It had to be. But Conrad was afraid to call it. If he did, he wouldn't get what he wanted, he thought. He stared at me, and then... Okay, Holiday. I uh, I don't know how you found out how important this is, but evidently it did. All right? 
How much do you want? What makes you think I want anything? Are you kidding? Okay. We'll decide that after I get what you want. Uh, bring the notebook and we'll talk it over. It's a deal. Uh, but uh, you won't be alone, Holiday. You'll have company all the way. Oh, how nice. Jimmy has such a good face. You know, it'll do me a lot of good to be seen with him. Yeah, if you don't come through, it could also do you a lot of harm. <laughs> Back to Hot Box, another Box 13 adventure with Alan Ladd as Dan Holliday. Well, I could have wound up the whole thing by telling Conrad about Ruth Cornwall. But I didn't want to drag her in unless she was going to double-cross me. Okay, there had to be a starting point. And for me, it was the hospital where the little guy who had bought the box was taken after his accident. Well, I'm afraid you can't talk with him, Mr. Holliday. As a matter of fact, there was another man here yesterday. And he frightened our patient so badly that he had a relapse. Oh. Doctor, what's your patient's name? Ralph Sanders. Uh, he's an ex-convict. Just got out of prison a few days ago. Oh. Okay, thanks, Doctor. Here's my name and phone number. If I can talk with him at any time, please call me, will you? <laughs> That was a dead end. Then I got the idea that the people at the auction rooms might be able to help. Here it is, Mr. Holliday. That box was uh, part of lot number 509. What does that mean? Well, lot 509 was in storage here. For a time, we received the money to pay for the storage, and <laughs> then it stopped. How long ago? Oh, it must have been over 60 days. We hold goods that long and then offer them for sale to pay for the storage charges. Hmm. How long did you have this lot... 509. Mm, well, let me look at the books. Four years. Oh. Do you know the name of the person who owned the goods? Uh, James R. Conlon. Uh, at least that's the name on our books. Did you make any attempt to locate this Conlon after the payments on storage stopped coming in? Yes, we did. But we couldn't. I see. Oh, one more question. Did you advertise this sale? Oh, yes. We're bound to by law. You advertise in the papers. That's right. Thanks very much. Well, there was one place to find out about James R. Conlon. The morgue of the Star Times. And what I found out began to slope the merry-go-round enough to let me see some of the things a little more clearly. Then at my apartment later today... Hello? Yes, who's this? This is Dr. Evans, City Hospital. Oh, yes. Uh, Sanders is conscious now. Oh, fine. But I'm afraid that he won't live. Since you were the only person who left his name, I, I thought you'd want to know. Uh, may I see him? Well, you haven't much time. I'll be right there, Doctor. I saw the poor little guy. He was pathetically anxious to talk. He had been Conlon's cellmate in the penitentiary. And Conlon had talked. He had to talk to someone, tell about something he was saving up for when he got out. And it was Sanders he told about a teakwood box and what was in it. Never dreaming he'd die in prison before Sanders got out. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay. Now it was my turn. I went outside. Hello, Jimmy. Still playing tag with me? What's the idea, Holiday? Oh, I'm full of ideas. But the best one of all is... Let's go to Conrad. Uh, you got that book? Not with me, pretty boy. If you want to get your head singed... Look, we're going to Conrad right now. Why, I ought to... You ought to, but you won't. Well, let's get going. We stand here one more second. I'll let that notebook loose where it'll do the most good. Or the most harm. And that figures depends on the point of view. Why, I... Okay. Okay, but you're asking for trouble. Ah. Let's go hunt for it, shall we? Well, hello, Halliday. Glad to see you back. You're an optimist, Conrad. Here, I brought your son back with me. Say hello to Papa, Jimmy. What's this all about? I just got tired of having Jimmy Hawkins. Jimmy, has he got it? Yeah. Where is it, Halliday? I know. With you? Oh, no, don't be silly. Jimmy, you let him get it and do a fade-out on you. No, no, I didn't. Oh, no, Jimmy was with me all the way, and a more gruesome companion no man could ask for. Stop yapping. Okay. A while ago, I talked with a little guy named Ralph Sanders. Sanders? So? He was Conlon's cellmate in prison. Go on. It seems Mr. Conn had a notebook filled with a lot of details that would blow you and your nice bunch right out of the window. Where is it? As if I tell you. Now listen. You found out about the box because Sanders talked. The prison grapevine picked it up and it got to you. You wrote me. Wanted me to bid on the box and get it for you. <laughs> the joke's on you, Conrad, because I didn't have the faintest idea what was in that box before today. How long do you think you'll enjoy this big joke on me? A long, long time. I'm walking out of here right now with no tail on me. Yeah? Uh-huh. Because if I don't show up where I'm supposed to, in exactly one hour, that notebook goes to the police. Uh, listen, uh, you're smart. Uh, we can make a deal. Oh, no. Remember, I'm walking out of here. Oh, I forgot. I forgot. Good night, Jimmy. Well, his head's not very hard either, is it? Sure, I walked out all right, but I expected to feel my back pick up a few ounces of lead on the way. I didn't. I was very happy about that. Ah, there was still one more thing to clear up. Ruth Cornwall. If she had that notebook and Conrad found out about it, then I was out in the cold. I got to the Marchmont apartment as fast as I could because it could be that she was going to do a little business with Conrad herself. I got in, went to her apartment. Yes? Oh. I'm sorry, I couldn't wait to be invited in. I told you not to come back here. Yes, I know, but I'm back. What do you want? Last night you gave me a box. Now I want what was in it. There was nothing in it. Not even a notebook with some very startling things in it? About a certain Mr. Conrad in his game? So you found out about this? Yeah, but in finding out, I put myself in a wonderful spot to get acquainted with a mortician. All right, so you know. But what good will it do you? What good will it do you? That's no concern of yours. Oh, yes, it is. 
Put yourself in my place. Conrad thinks I've got the notebook. He also knows who I am and where I live. Now, when he finds out I don't have the notebook and can't hold it over his head, he's going to get awfully, awfully rough with me. <laughs> and that seems to be your problem, Mr. Holliday. Uh, and you won't give me any help with it. Why should I? Fair question. I'll answer it. Because I don't think you want to see me get killed. Look, I can't help you. Do you understand that? I can't help you at all. Where's the book? It's no use. I won't tell you. I won't tell you anything. Anything? Why did you put that on the end? Mr. Holliday, the last time you were here, I was at a disadvantage. Now, our positions have reversed. I think you'll leave now without giving me any more trouble. All right. You ask for it. You'll get it. What do you mean by that? I did a lot of reading today, Miss Conlon. No. Oh, don't call me that. You don't know that. You, you can't know that. No. no. You can't know that. It was a throw in the dark, but it did where I wanted it to. The clippings on Conlon mentioned something about a daughter. Not much. But enough to give me a hint that Ruth Cornwall and Ruth Conlon were the same. I watched you for a few seconds, and then... All right. I'm Ruth Conlon. Are you satisfied now? Not quite. What I said before still goes. Do you want me to get killed? No. No, of course not. And what are you doing with that notebook? Well, I... If I tell you, what do you do? That depends on what you tell me. All right. I'll tell you. My father died in prison. No one knows I'm his daughter. No one. For four years, I've lived under another name, waiting for him to come home, waiting to help him get even with Conrad and the men who sent him to prison. Sure, he could have told things at his trial. He knew he'd been double-crossed, but he wanted to wait. And now? And now I... I don't know. Why don't you know? I'm going to get married. You see... I didn't count on falling in love at 35. Falling in love with Tommy. Oh, he was the man who came here last night after I, after I left. Yes. I had to get that notebook. Because if someone else got hold of it, all the old scandal would be raked up again. People would find out who I was, that my father died in prison. Tommy would find out. I see. I waited a long time to get even with Conrad, but now I don't want to. Because of Tommy. Oh, don't you see I can't let anyone else have that notebook. I want a chance to live like anyone else, like you or a million other people. Yes, I, I see. So, now what do you do? I... I can't do a thing, Miss Conlon. It's your problem now. Mine. That's right. You can destroy that book and let Conrad go along his merry way. You can forget your father. He's dead. Whatever happens to Conrad now won't help him. That's true. But leave us out of it. If you let a man like Conrad go free when you could put him where he belongs, that wouldn't be any good, would it? Oh, please, please stop it. And maybe something you've never thought about. But what? Someday, someday your Tommy might find out. Oh, no. You've got nothing to be ashamed of. It wasn't you. It was your father. Why don't you start with a clean page? If, if this Tommy's a right guy... You'll understand. 
Well, Miss Conlon. Hello, Tommy. Darling, I I want you to come over right away. There's something we've got to talk over. All right, dear. I'll give ten to one on Tommy. Ruth. of notorious racketeer after five years. Dead man's notebook. Forget that, Susie. Turn to the society page. Oh, thanks. Here. Now, read that. Mr. and Mrs. Tommy Gibson leave for Bahamas on honeymoon. Gee, the Bahamas. You must feel just like stupid, Mr. Holiday. The word is Cupid, Susie. And I'm dressed differently. Mr. Holiday. <laughs> Good night, Susie. Next week, same time, through the courtesy of Paramount Pictures, Alan Ladd stars as Dan Holiday in Box 13. Box 13 is directed by Richard Sandville with an original story by Russell Hughes. Original music is composed and conducted by Rudy Schrager. The part of Susie is played by Sylvia Picker. Production is supervised by Vern Carstensen. This is a Mayfair production from Hollywood. Stay tuned for Fibber McGee and Molly next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Fibber McGee and Molly and Picnic at Dugan's Lake. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. <laughs> The makers of Johnson's Wax Products for Home and Industry present Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The script is by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie. Music by the Kingsmen and Billy Mills Orchestra. Say, tell me, have you sent in for your personal car initials? The makers of Johnson's Wax want you to try the famous car polish, Johnson's Car New. So to listeners who buy car new, they're sending two sets of personal car initials, tastefully designed and striking gold color half an inch high. They give your car a smart personal touch, only take a minute to apply. Let me tell you how to get your two sets of personal car initials, one set of three initials for each side of your car. First, buy some Johnson's car new. Then send the sales slip or the name of the dealer from whom you bought your car new, together with a stamped self-addressed envelope to Fibber McGee and Molly, Racine, Wisconsin. If you live in Canada, address your request for initials to Fibber McGee and Molly, Brantford, Ontario. Print clearly which initials you want, any three, and get your request in the mail right away for your two sets of handsome gold-colored decal car initials. Get some Johnson's Car New tomorrow, sure. Car New is spelled C-A-R-N-U. Now, I'll repeat the instructions. Buy some Johnson's Car New. Send the sales slip or the name of the dealer from whom you bought the car new, together with a stamped, self-addressed envelope, to Fibber McGee and Molly, Racine, Wisconsin. 
June, as the song has it, is busting out all over. The rich are varnishing their yachts, the poor are laughing at the coal dealer, and the great middle classes are planning picnics, like Fibber McGee and Molly. Now, let me see. I have the sandwiches, the pickles, the cake, and the bananas. Did you put the root beer in the car, McGee? Three big fat cases of it, kiddo. Nothing like a big mug full of root beer to wash down a sandwich. And speaking of a big mug full of root beer, is Doc Gamble coming on the picnic? Well, I haven't been able to get in touch with him. Mm, if he puts on any more weight, he won't be able to get in touch with himself. <laughs> you leave word at his office? I left invitations at his office, at the hospital, at his home, and at the county jail. Well, they ought to... At the county jail? Yes, I thought they might call him in on a consultation. Huh? Yeah, there's an epidemic down there, you know. There? In, in the jail? What kind of an epidemic? Hacksaws, I believe. <laughs> Hacksaws are tools, not a disease. Oh, I guess I misunderstood. The paper just said that five prisoners had broken out with hacksaws. <laughs> Must have been a dumb bunch of guys. You could kick your way out of that who's got with moccasins on. Badly constructed, is it? <laughs> Badly constructed. Anytime you can't stick your finger through a wall, it's because the sheriff is on the other side leaning against it. <laughs> I always wondered that why... That building is so damp, the deputies made 3,000 bucks last year trapping lobsters in the basement. Why, it's... Hey, you putting some of those oatmeal cookies in Yes, there? dearie. Now, let me see. I have salt and pepper, knives and forks and spoons. How about oyster forks? Oyster forks at a pick... Well, how else are we going to get the pickles out of the bottle? Last year, I sprained both forefingers and couldn't use my typewriter for ten days. Oh, well. Never could use it, as a matter of fact. <laughs> Bye, George. I've meant... Come in. <laughs> Hello there, daughter. Hello, Johnny. What are you doing? Packing stuff for a picnic, old-timer. Picnic, eh? Yeah. I used to be in great demand for picnics when I was a youngster, kid. Yeah? Only feller in town could build a campfire scientific. How did you build a campfire scientific? Well, sir. <laughs> well, sir, Johnny, an old Indian showed me the secret. Oh. You take and dig a little trench in the ground, see? Hmm? And you get some dry hickory twigs, sassafras leaves, and gum off in a pine tree. Yeah. You build a little pyramid out of the twigs, lay the gum on top, spread the leaves around, then lay a log onto it. Yeah? Then you drench it with kerosene and aim a blowtorch at it. <laughs> Never fails. <laughs> Another good way is tie a lightning rod on a pile of dynamite and wait for a thunderstorm. <laughs> That's pretty good, Johnny. But that ain't the way I heard it. The way I heard it, one feller says, t'other feller says, I see where England has finally decided what to do with India. That's so, says t'other feller. What are they going to do with it? Just what everybody told them to, says the first feller. Give it back to the Indians. <laughs> hey, well, may not be funny, kids, but it's topical. Say, would you care to come on this picnic with us, Mr. Oldtimer? No, you're sweet, daughter, but no thanks. You know what I always say? Fresh air's all right if you don't inhale. <laughs> well, I just dropped in to say howdy. 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 Silly, wasn't it? 
Sometimes, uh, Mickey, what are you doing? I'm looking for my two-headed half-dollar. You seen my two-headed half-dollar in place? You mean that trick half-dollar that's the same on both sides? Yeah. What do you want that for? Well, I may want to flip a coin with Wilcox to see who collects the firewood. Doggone it, I had that two-headed half-dollar around here someplace. Come in. Oh, hello, Dr. Gamble. Hello, Molly. Hi, Splint Whitler. Good day, short, dark, and repugnant. Ooh. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me to the picnic. Welcome. Looks like a very happy lunch you have there, Molly. Oh, I think there'll be plenty of everything, Doctor. And as long as you were going to be along, I tried to have a balanced meal. Deviled eggs and angel food cake. <laughs> Tell me, do they have picnic tables at Dugan's Lake, or do we just sit around on the broken glass? Oh, they have tables, Doctor. Are you going to swim? Yes, I think I might. Great exercise swimming. Takes it off in the right places and puts it on in the right places. <laughs> You must have done most of your swimming at night when the best places were hard to find. Ah, McGee, don't be so insulting. That's all right, Molly. Did you ever notice that everybody at Dugan's Lake gets out the fishing tackle when McGee goes swimming? Hmm? They want to go after the fish while they're still laughing. (laughs) What time is this picnic, by the way? Four o'clock, Doc. I'll be there. I have a financial as well as a sentimental interest in that lake. Oh? Yeah, I dropped three souvenir $20 gold pieces off the dock last year. Nobody was able to recover them. I'll see you out there. (laughs) Three $20 gold pieces, eh? Doc lost them off the end of the dock, eh? Well, anything that mug can lose, I can find. Where's my swimming trunk? Now, you take it easy, dearie. You're not a very good diver, you know. For 60 bucks, I'll bring up the Lusitania. Come on, let's be the first ones at Dugan's Lake Oh, brother, I can use 60 bucks like Brittle can use peanuts Get your hat, kiddo, I got the basket You grab the ant powder Come on, let's go we got Billy Mills in the orchestra and Cecilia
wish you'd had time to buy a new bathing suit, McGee. Those swimming trunks of yours are pretty moth-eaten. I know, but I got a sentimental attachment for them trunks. I saved a guy's life while I was wearing those. Really? Whose? Mine. <laughs> they fit so bad, I didn't want to go buy any hamburger, so I swam on my empty stomach. <laughs> Otherwise, I might have got cramps and drowned on... Yes, sir, I was... Oh, stop, McGee. There's Wallace Wimple. We told him we'd pick him up, you know. Oh. Ah, gotta get them brakes fixed. Well, hop in, Wimp, old man. Hello, Mr. Wimple. Hello, folks. <laughs> My, we're glad you could come on this picnic, Mr. Wimple. Yeah, how'd you get away from Sweetie Face for the day, Wimp? You mean my big old wife? <laughs> yes, did she object to your going on the picnic, huh? What could she do, Mrs. McGee? I just put my foot down. My gosh. At last, eh? You really put your foot down, Mr. Wimple. Yes, I did. I put my foot down and waited. Nothing happened. And I put my other foot down. Nothing happened. So I just dropped out of the tree and ran like everything. (laughs) What were you doing up in the tree in the first place, Wimp? Reading my bird book. Your what, Mr. Wimple? My bird book. And the silliest thing happened while I was sitting up in that tree. Yeah? A little bird flew up and squatted down on my head like it was a big egg. (laughs) <laughs> it was so cute <laughs> What kind of a bird was it, Wimp? That was the silly part of it, Mr. McGee I looked it up in my bird book And it was an Arkansas nuthatch <laughs> Did I ever tell you about the feeding habits of the green-winged Montana twiddle? Twiddle? Yes A twiddle is like the South Dakota duck-billed gillfinch Except it has wing flaps Oh Well, during the mating season, which is from February to January, the twiddle eats nothing but radishes, and when it sings, it sounds like, pardon me, pardon me, pardon me. (laughs) The female twiddle has a great... to get them brakes fixed. Well, here we are, Mr. Wimple. I guess we're the first ones here. You kids take the lunch over to the table. I'm going to slip my pants off in the car on account of I got my swimming trunks on underneath and underneath my pants on. <laughs> you going to swim, Wimp? No, I don't think so, Mr. McGee. Oh. But if somebody will keep an eye on me, I might wait a little. <laughs> I'll hang on to the end of your necktie, Mr. Wimple. Say, will you please help me with these baskets? Certainly, Mrs. McGee. I'll take this one and you take that one. There's three cases of root beer in the back, Wimp. I'll be with you as soon as I take a quick plunge. Mm. My, these baskets are heavy, aren't they, Mrs. McGee? Maybe if I ate a few sandwiches out of them. Oh, no, no, Mr. Wimple. Not until everybody else gets here. Here, let me help you with that stuff, Molly. Hello, Wally. Hello, Mr. Wilcox. Glad you could come. Me, too. Uh, you can take this basket, Harlow. Just put it on the table over there. Oh, okay. <sighs> you know, this picnic was a wonderful idea. I always think that... Where's Fibber? Well, he's in the trunk of the car putting on his back seat. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wasn't that silly of me? <laughs> he's in the back seat putting on his trunk. <laughs> he wants to take a plunge before we eat. That's peculiar. When did he start feeling so athletic? I've been on picnics with him before, and he usually hey, just sits... Hey, come. Watch this dive off the end of the dock. One side, everybody. Ah! I didn't hear any splash. 
That must be a very high dock. Or maybe he didn't know there was a rowboat tied right under the end of it. <laughs> a rowboat? Heavenly days by them, that poor man. That ratted lame brain that tied this boat down here, I'd like to bust at my neck. That's what it was, the rowboat. <laughs> Goodness, isn't this a wonderful day for a picnic? Can you think of anything more beautiful, Mr. Wilcox, than a lunch in the open with the blue sky overhead and the green grass underfoot? Yes. What, Hilo? Eating in an immaculate kitchen with a ceiling overhead and a gleaming Johnson's glow-footed linoleum underfoot. That's beauty to me. Stuffy kitchen than out here at lovely Dugan's Lake, Mr. Wilcox? Why, sure. A modern kitchen isn't stuffy anyway. And with glow coat brightening and beautifying the floor, it's the pleasantest room in the house. To me, the nicest room in the house is the hollow space under the front porch. Sweetie Face can't reach me there. Why, I often tell my customers, Wallace, that serving a meal in a kitchen that has a glow coated linoleum is a picnic. Just as informal, just as cheerful. And if you spill something, you don't have to kick dirt over it or hide it under an empty carton. You just wipe it up with a damp cloth. Yeah, but I always say hey, that you can... Hey, did you see that last dive? Clean's a hound's tooth, huh? Let's say as clean as a glow-coated linoleum. Huh? Why, when a housewife pours a little Johnson self-polishing glow coat out and spreads it around... Hey, and... hey, hey. Waxy, please, take a day off, will you? <laughs> this is a picnic, not a sales conference. Well, I was just saying that... Yes, Mr. Wilcox, I'm sure Racine won't mind if you relax a few minutes. No. Oh. After all, you'll have to get used to having Fred Waring and Bill Bivens handle it this summer anyway. Ooh, goody. Fred Waring and Bill Bivens. <laughs> I just love Fred's music. I wish he was on for Johnson's Wax right now. Did I say something wrong? You just bit the hand that's going to feed you, that's all, right? <laughs> Hey, have I got time for a few more dives before we eat, Molly? Well, Dr. Gamble and Mayor Latrivia aren't here yet, dearie. Okay, I'll try a few more. Watch this one. Hey, did you see that? He landed on his stomach and bounced. He certainly stays underwater a long time, doesn't he? Oh, yes. Yes. He's learned to hold his breath for 13 weeks at a time, Mr. Wimple. <laughs> Options, you know. <laughs> oh, here comes Mayor Latrivia. You know Mr. Mayor over here. Who's that with him? Oh, it's the little girl who lives across the street from you. Hello, Your Honor. Hello, Teeny. Hello, hello. Hi. Hello, hello Molly. Hello, Wimple. Well, now that everybody's here but Dr. Gamble, I guess I better go start the lunch, huh? I'll help you, Molly. So will I. Stay and eat with us if you like, Teeny. There's plenty of everything. I told you you'd be invited if you walked in here with me, Teeny. I'm the Elsa Maxwell of the picnic ground. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, it does look like you need more women at this party. <laughs> oh. What's that, a big fish? <clears throat> That's a matter of opinion, Peeny. <laughs> Mr. McGee just dove off the end of the dock. Oh, gee, this is going to be fun, I bet you. I love picnics, Mr. Honor. <laughs> Not Mr. Honor, Peeny, uh, your honor. My honor? No, no, my honor. You say your honor when you address me. Okay, my honor. <laughs> no, no, look, you don't understand. The chief executive of the city is called his honor the mayor. Oh. Personally, I'd just as soon be called Mr. Latrivia, but custom decrees that I be spoken to as your honor or Mr. Mayor. You understand? Well, I... 
No. <laughs> All right, I'll try to make it a little clearer. Now then, suppose you were the mayor of Wistful Vista. All right. Now, the first thing we got to do is have longer recess in the schools, I betcha. And then we got to give my teacher, Miss Yegley, a raise on account of she's so nice to little children. And then you now, know... Now, just a minute, please, Tina. This was just a temporary appointment. Oh. <laughs> Purely hypothetical, for the sake of argument. Okay, Indian giver. <laughs> if you were the mayor, I'd come up to you and say, Ah, oh, there, good morning, Your Honor. As it is, you say the same thing to me. I can't, I bet you. Why not? It isn't morning, it's afternoon. That's beside the point. I was merely trying to... Ex- Mr. McGee died. Did you hear that splash, Mr. Honor? It is not Mr. Honor. It's Mr. Mayor. It is not, I bet you. It's Mr. McGee. I saw him when he jumped in. I didn't mean who I am. I mean, I didn't honor the man who jumped into the mayor. Oh, no. <laughs> now, now, give it a chance, Mr. Honor. You addressed me as Mr. Dive. Honor. <laughs> and the man who McGee'd into the splash, oh. the sergeant, I was... You said... Teeny? Yes, Mr. Honor? When you grow up, if ever, you will be... Oh, wait, here comes Mr. McGee, Mr. Honor. (laughs) Oh, oh boy, are those ever funny-looking bathing trunks, I bet you. (laughs) Hi, Mr. McGee. Hi, Teeny. Oh, hi, Latrev. When did you get here? Just a few minutes ago. Oh. I took the liberty of bringing this little... <clears throat> this young lady. Oh. <laughs> I hope you don't mind. Oh, my gosh, no. Sis, you're as welcome as the flowers in June. June was the name of a goat I had once. <laughs> she ate a dozen roses, and it was a great improvement. <laughs> Thanks, Sister McGee. Picnics. Now you do, eh? Yes, I'm... Hmm? I says you do, eh? Do what? Love them. Well, what? Picnics. I know it. <laughs> hey, where'd you get those bathing trunks, mister? Where'd you get them? Hmm. I was about to ask the same question, McGee. They seem to have a drape shape with a slack back and a drip hip. Yeah. <laughs> These are my old track pants, Latrivia. I've clung to them like they're clinging to me right now. Just because I made the mistake of hanging them up for 20 years by the seat, that, hey, hey, is that safety pin still in there where I tore them a little bit? Sure it is, mister. It hardly shows unless somebody notices well, it. I was about to suggest that All you be... All right, everybody. Soup's on. Come and get it. Well, I got a great appetite. Run and get the blanket out of the car, will you, Teeny? I don't want to catch cold in these wet trunks. Okay, mister. Uh, McGee, before you sit down, huh? that safety pin, did you get congressional authority for that? Congressional authority? What has Congress got to do with the safety pin in my swimming trunks? Rent control. Oh. Coming, my way. King's Men and O Eveline. O Eveline, my Eveline, oh, whisper to me, honey, you'll be mine. Way down yonder in the old cornfield for you, I find. Sweet as ever, honey, to the honeybee, I love you, say you love me. Meet me in the shade of the old apple tree, heavy, heavy, heavy Eveline. Oh, Eveline, be mine. 
picnic supper these tired old teeth ever got together on. <laughs> well, thank you, Doctor. I was afraid for a while you weren't going to come. What delayed you, fever chart? Somebody tried to sneak out of the hospital without giving you his gold filling? No, one of the nurses asked me to remove a small wart that was bothering him. Oh. oh, really? How'd you treat the wart, Doc? With considerable respect. Huh? His father is our wealthiest patient. <laughs> I have another piece of that cake, Molly? Why, certainly, Doctor. As soon as Mr. Wilcox and Mr. Wimple and Teeny get back with some firewood, we'll make a fire and roast marshmallows, huh? No, you go ahead. But I'm going in the lake again in a few minutes, as soon as I think it's safe after eating. My boy, after what you stowed away, you are liable to get cramps in anything better than a heavy fog up until April of 1967. <laughs> Furthermore, oh, I think... Oh, here come the boys and Teeny with some firewood. Bring it right over here, everybody. Here's mine, Molly. Dump it right here. That's right, and thank you. Quite a hefty batch of kindling, Junior. What'd you tear down, a boathouse? Oh, look how much I got, everybody. Well, good for you, Teeny. That's wonderful. Just drop it on the pile there. Okay. Well, now, that's what I call firewood. And cut to just the right lengths, too. Where'd you find it, Teeny? Oh, I was just lucky, I guess. <laughs> there was a truck parked over there with a lot of this wood on it. Oh, I see. <laughs> you better start the fire quick. Hey, where's Wimple with his wood? Uh, here I come, Mr. McGee. Uh, look out, everybody. Yeah, I'm going to dump it. Uh, right on the pile there, Mr. Wimple. <laughs> Am I tired? Are there any more sandwiches? <laughs> sandwiches? Great Scott. He's already eaten enough to see the Turkish army through four campaigns. Well, if somebody will build a fire, we can roast the marshmallows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody build a fire. I'm going to take a dip in the lake. Watch this dive, everybody. Here I go. Yeah! <laughs> I never saw a man so enthusiastic about diving What goes with him, Molly? Well, I suppose he has his reasons, Mr. Wilcox I have a theory about it People have been telling him to go soak his head for so many years He finally caught on <laughs> Oh, well, gee, 
maybe he just likes to swim, maybe, huh? Nobody could like to swim the way he does, Teeny. Huh? He fancies he's doing the Australian crawl because he's down under so much. <laughs> well, he works hard. After all, he's made 57 dives that I've counted. Four of them good. My goodness, he's awfully quiet. Why, of course he is. He's underwater looking around. Looking for what? Well, frankly, he's trying to find some gold pieces Dr. Gamble lost off the dock last year. Gold pieces? Oh, that's very amusing, Molly. He's got the right idea, but the wrong dock. I lost them off the one at the other end of the lake. (laughs) Well, my goodness, I'm going down and tell him he's wasting his time. I'll go with you. I want to see his face. That's the first time I ever said that. (laughs) <laughs> come on, come on Let's go down and break the news to him And ruin his day Ah, yeah. <laughs> oh, poor McGee And he's been working so hard at it McGee, dearie, where are you? I'm down here, under the dock Why? We've got news for you, Bluegill <laughs> Doc lost his gold pieces At the other end of the lake So what? I quit looking for them gold pieces Fifteen minutes ago well, then what are you looking for, McGee? I'm looking for my swimming trunk. Oh! Very kind of the boys to take you out of the lake in a blanket, McGee. No, I could have found my trunks if they'd left me alone. I'd barely got started. <laughs> You'd what got started? Barely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> huh? Oh, oh, yeah. Good night. And good night, all. This is Arnold Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax Products for Home and Industry, inviting you to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night is Challenge of the Yukon, followed by Life with Luigi. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.